Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and we have along with us today, Stephen Otterstrom, as always. So, Steve, how are you doing this week? I guess I start every week asking you that question, don't I? So, how are <laughs> you? you? <laughs> well, we, we certainly don't want to ruin the cadence. You know, people have a certain expectation of you know, what we're going to talk about and when we're going to talk about it. So, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's stay consistent, right? Yeah. There I'm, you go. Like, like every week in this journey, and, and I guess probably every week prior to COVID, it's not like life didn't throw curveballs or interesting things. Uh, but it seems like ever since this furlough started, uh, every week has been packed with like three weeks of emotions and three weeks mm. of things that have happened, three weeks of introspection, um, three weeks of boredom, three weeks of fear, yeah. three weeks, you know. Yeah, um, all compressed into a short, short time period. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and a couple of things that were really just unique coming into it. And actually, some of these things are uh, just barely predate uh, since last week. But um, uh, the day before Mother's Day, I got a new niece and nephew, which is very exciting. Um, ah, congratulations. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen them yet except by photo because, uh, of course, due to the virus, uh, they're being quarantined right now. I, neither one of, you know, none of the children are um, are currently ill. It's just a matter of keeping them um, safe and healthy and, and mom as well. So, right. um, that's exciting. It's one of those things that it's, it's like, I have to kind of remind myself it really happened because I haven't seen the children yet. So it's kind of like they exist in concept and not in reality yet, uh, to me, which is really not strange. real until you can see, touch until and feel I, them. Right? Until I can see them. Exactly. <laughs> or, or maybe smell the diaper. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of those, one of those. So, you know, new life, that was one thing, but then also, uh, this last week, actually, I attended a funeral uh, for mm. um, it was it was my mother's cousin, actually, that uh, passed away. And her son and I are the uh, the same age. And um, actually, uh, we both went to Uruguay together as uh, Mormon missionaries uh, at the same okay. time. So um, we, we actually didn't know each other quite as well until we were um, until we met each other down there. I mean, we knew of each other, but. Uh, yeah. Kind of having that shared experience has made us very close, um, and and as as even though we live on opposite sides of the country, we've stayed in in contact. So um, it, it was interesting, and it was interesting to see that side of things in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, there not being a standard regular funeral service like we're used to, instead uh, just a graveside service. There was a viewing, but uh, you could only have twenty people in the room at a time. Um, and even mm. at that, it appears that most people decided to stay home. Uh, there weren't really many people that came through at all during that viewing part of things. And then, um, at the graveside service, of course, people were sad. They were crying. There were a lot of sniffles. And every time someone sniffled, people just kind of moved further apart. Um, as, as you know, and we all were wearing masks as well. So, um, oh, it, it, sure, it made sure. it made it feel um, a little more like, even though um, actually the the passing of of, of my mother's cousin uh, wasn't truly COVID. It was COVID related because uh, she had a stroke, and um, her family members were doing the right thing in trying to be socially distant from her because she was in the class of individuals that. Um, Yes. Uh, are most susceptible. And so uh, they, no one was there and capable of, of getting her to the hospital sooner. And so mm. what might have been fixed with a medication ended up becoming fatal. So it's, it's interesting wow. because um, it, it really kind of hit me that, that this COVID thing, it, it's, it's, it's carrying a much bigger toll than uh, what we're giving it credit for. Um, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> it, it was COVID-related. Uh, I mean, w was it open coffin then, or was it a closed casket, or, I mean... Oh, oh well, I mean, um, she, she did not have, she did not have COVID. 
it, it's COVID related from the perspective that they were they were staying distant from each other. Got it. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why they they didn't recognize and have an opportunity to see her. Had it been in the pre-COVID days, then you know there was enough family going through constantly that um, that very likely someone would have been there and yeah. um, and been able to get her the medical attention in a more timely way. Yeah. Was kind of the contributing factor. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. So and it, and it was, that. it was an open, um, an open casket viewing. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. It was interesting to see things from both ends and even though it, yes. it both um, new life and then the passing of someone we care about, um, yeah. And then not having the same opportunity to celebrate in groups like it, 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 mm-hmm. a casualty of COVID seems to be culture to some degree <laughs> Then mm, um, yeah. our cultural practices. I mean, we, we hear about all the time about people putting off their weddings and things like that. Um, but these other things that won't wait. You know, the yes. babies were already on yes. their way. <laughs> yeah. They 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 couldn't put it off for another, you know, two or three months. Furlough they're coming into yeah. the world. Um yeah. and likewise with uh passing the people we care about, you know, that that's still happening, but we don't have sure. um our culture and our traditions to help mm-hmm. us through those like like yeah. we did in the past in the pre COVID days. So yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I did. I I did talk to somebody this week that mentioned about a death in the family, and they just had a graveside service, just a very mm-hmm. small, simple graveside service, which uh, obviously would have been much different had the conditions of our whole pandemic and all that kind of thing. Uh, they would have had a much different funeral, I'm sure. So, well, I wonder if that puts us in a position where we because we have our cultural norms for a reason, we've come to those in a way of helping us deal with these kinds of things. If, if that makes it harder for us to deal with, I mean, you know, that's another question that I I certainly don't have the answer to, you know, are we able to, does it draw out the pain a little longer? Does it mean that we don't feel like we've ever, we have, we've really fully honored that person's life. Is there going to be a need maybe after this all ends to kind of backtrack and right. uh, get people together and, and have celebrations of life that um, are more indicative of, of, of the relationships we had with people? Or are we going to always just feel like, oh, I wish we could have done more? Or, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it will be interesting to see how we deal with some of these things in the long term. Yeah, yeah. Well, no doubt some folks as we go through this currently you know they're making plans that yes we'll we will have a celebration or a memorial or do whatever once we get to the other side of this uh but right the long-term effects are kind of uh, wonder yeah. wonder if there would be some repercussions there yeah. with my niece and nephew when they're four years old are we going to get together and have a, a baby party for them? <laughs> well yeah, <laughs> you know? there you go and i guess that's that's the point on some get of the these things extra big even if we can come back and revisit them, it's not going to be at the same time. Right. You know, it won't have I, the same meaning. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we're not going to uh, <laughs> be able to hold a newborn after, you know, a, a six months of being away. You know, we're not going to be able to begin that bonding process later. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are things that don't necessarily work as well via Zoom. You know, you can't hold your new niece or nephew via Zoom platform, <laughs> you know. Um, however, mm-hmm. you know, many families have had to deal with large separations and having, you know, family members and, you know, born that they haven't had the chance to meet, you know. And maybe sure. in, in some ways it, it's a matter of like leaning on other cultural perspectives that people have had to have and finding out how they've dealt with things. And maybe that's the way that we, we work through some of the new, um, COVID realities. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like an interesting week, Steve. <laughs> and, and, and for you, <laughs> how did you yeah. make it through the week? I mean, you are talking well, to me. Yes, I yes. I understand you might have have worked a little too hard and have a little pain in your back, but uh, yeah, yeah. For right, for me, nothing quite as eventful, and uh, I, I'll 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 be thankful for either way, for the life or the death. I'll be thankful <laughs> I didn't have either of those, I guess. Uh, but yeah, a little little lower back pain, doing a lot of work around the house, and I I guess I maybe pulled a muscle and didn't recognize it, so uh, battling that, uh, but. Definitely, you know, as far as tying it back into COVID, it, there is the question of, gee, do I really want to go to the chiropractor during this time? Do I want to spend what limited income I'm getting while I'm on furlough going to the chiropractor? Can I tough it out? You know, all those kind of things. Um, but the thing I'm most encouraged about this week, Steve, is seeing more and more people posting and talking about mental health. And of course, here in the United States, May is Mental Health Month. And then in the UK, they have Mental Health Week. I've seen postings on that. And so I, I'm really pleased to see that folks are being introspective, they're taking time to kind of look at themselves and, and considering some self-care that may be needed during this time. And so I'm encouraged by that. And I know we've got a special guest with us today that's going to talk to some of that. So I'm anxious to hear about that. So I'm going to let you go ahead and do introduction, although we both know her well. But I'm going to give you the honor and we will uh, hear from our guests. And uh, it absolutely is an honor because um, our uh, special guest is Darshini. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I met Darshini, oh, I, virtually for the first time, probably almost two years ago. Um, very, um, I, I'm not sure quite how to describe her. However, um, for our guests, as soon as you hear her voice, <laughs> you will feel like you know her <laughs> because Darshini is the type of person that has an energy and a vibrance that is absolutely infectious, maybe even more infectious than COVID. So, uh, but it, it's the infection you want to get. Um, and one of the reasons why we're really excited to have Darshini come on with us this uh, morning is um, Darshini is, well, I, I like to think of her as a really an international influence. <laughs> Darshini currently is living in Dubai. She is from Malaysia. Um, Darshini, your father is from India. Is that correct? Yes, so, my dad's from India. So there's a mixture of cultures that you grew up with and a mixture of cultures that you live with. Yes. <laughs> You've, you, you have had to deal with Americans like uh, Leonard and I in your professional yes. career <laughs> together for those that may not recognize that. So <laughs> Darshini is kind of our international partner doing the work that Steve and I do here in the United States. She has the pleasure of doing it elsewhere. And so welcome to the show, Darshini. Thank you. So my introduction to the United States, and I know this is going to sound so bad, is actually Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> I am there so you go. Sorry. That is America wrapped up all in one. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, believe it or not, I have had a lot of dealings with uh, with the folks in America, but I have not been to the United States. Oh, well, um, yes. I understand right now the flights are kind of uh, restricted. <laughs> Trust me, when this is all open, I will be there because I want to see what is happening. So um, um, before this, and uh, I was listening to you all talk, and you were talking about um, the light at the end of the tunnel and all the good stuff that's coming on. I have to say this, being here in Dubai, uh, last week was the first UAE patient to recover from COVID-19 after stem cell therapies. So there is definitely a lot at the end of the tunnel. It's just that we don't know how long this tunnel is, but I still have hope. Still have hope. And that is so exciting. <laughs> and and I think it was a couple of weeks ago, there was um, also our first um, approved treatment it, it, uh, for COVID. And it, it reduced it, I think, by four days if you took it soon enough. So it wasn't like one of these that was maybe not as, as promising as what's coming out of Dubai right now. Uh, but it's exciting to see there are some treatments 
that appear to be effective uh, being developed. And I like how everybody, like, you know, we've said this before, we are all in the storm together, but sailing on different boats. And I like how everybody's in it trying to find solutions to this. And that, but for that reason itself, it's quite promising. And I know there have been a lot of conversations with regards to mental health because COVID has taken, really pushed us to the limits, right? Um, a while ago, I was talking about, I was talking to a friend and I said, words like job security, words like, you know, oh yeah, we've got the luxury to be lazy, job security, it's going to be there. But I think all that is currently in question. And yes. um, a lot more people are open to talk about it. And it's quite interesting you spoke about mental health because beginning of this month, uh, our team in APAC, we decided to actually talk about mental health because mental health is not really spoken very widely in the Asian culture. So as you rightly said, my dad's from India, came to Malaysia when he was four. My mom is born and brought up Malaysian four generations ago. I was born and brought up in Malaysia, lived in the UK. My our sister married a Scottish man. So, mom, you know, we pretty much everywhere. So when someone says where you're from, I find it quite difficult. I end up then saying citizen of the world because they're like, hang on a second, you sound British. But I also hear yeah. the American Twitter slang, so I really don't know. So <laughs> I then say my accent really depends on who I'm speaking with. So <laughs> really don't know how to do this. And but we are so much more open to talking about this now. But back in the days, at least I remember growing up, um, I come from a very, how do I say, uh, I had the best of both worlds. My dad, uh, my dad's family, very cultural, very, um, you know, they brought, they reminded us where our roots are from. So I grew up speaking the language of South India, which is Tamil. And my mom's side, who truly believes in conquering the world, go live today like there's no tomorrow. So I had the best of both worlds in that sense. But the society that I grew up in, um, I remember trying to speak about how I feel and I'm very expressive. Even without seeing my face, I'm pretty sure you can already see it uh, by listening to my voice. Um, and I, every time I would talk about something, they would constantly label me drama queen. Mm -hmm. Oh, here comes the drama queen. Really used to bug me. Like every time I hear it, I'll be like, I'm really just trying to be expressive. Even if I don't speak, my face will say a million things. And I mm -hmm. didn't appreciate being labeled a drama queen. And uh, yeah. Obviously, um, for those that know me that know that I'm not, but uh, in the United States, when we talk about mental health, there is a bit of a stigma and it's getting better, but it's not something everybody embraces. It's a very mm -hmm. private matter most of the time. Uh, but talk to me just a little bit. Help me understand from an Asian perspective, you mentioned that, um, what what is quote unquote normal in Asia with mental health? Is it talked about at all? Is it a stigma or is it just not talked about? Or kind of give us a little bit of a background there to understand. Um, I don't know that you have the history of it, but help help us kind of understand what, what is typical in the the so Asian what's culture. yeah what's typical is and i just remind me to give you the similarities yet differences at the end of the sentence in a minute because as i am talking i'm also getting to realize that we are you know the same same but different you know we're pretty similar in the same way so yes it is a stigma we don't talk about it we don't we're, we're not really encouraged to speak our mind like if you try to speak to someone about it you should not raise your voice you should not cry you should you should not tell someone you know that you're upset it's all about having that front right the strong brave front and um in fact my mom uh was diagnosed um bipolar 11 years ago and uh, for me when that happened the first thing that i came that came into my mind was no that's impossible mom's perfect that's ridiculous mm -hmm. and she was living in the uk then and i was in malaysia if i'm not mistaken then and for me, I'm like, no, that's mom's way of trying to get our attention because she was living in the UK. She, of course, wanted us to be there. And I'm like, nah, nah, cannot. it's impossible. That's mom's way of trying to get her attention and mm -hmm. all that. And 
But five years ago, I think I came to accept that only five years ago because I she stayed with me a little bit more. She would come to visit me and I would literally see her going from high to low in a day. And when I see that unfolding in front of me and I saw the struggles that came along and how she would be really battling with herself, that's when I realized, hang on a second, that's not seeking attention. Something is wrong. And then I, of course, started reading it. But for the longest time, I was in denial, denial with a lot of things. So, of course, this whole drama queen, fine, I had a platform to, to you know, express myself, which is dance, because I started dancing at the age of four. The art, classical art form that I've been practicing is Bharatanatyam. And, of course, I expressed myself there. But even as a dancer, you, you always look at yourself in the mirror and you are always pretty, right? So ugly is ugly, pretty is pretty. So you don't show your true self. You, you take on a persona of someone else and it's all the beauty part of it. You know, does that make sense? And yeah, um, yeah so you don't really talk about it. I think, and then when I started speaking to a lot more people, I then realized it was just not an Asian thing. It's a mm-hmm. stigma all around the world. Yeah. Nobody yeah. actually is open to it. One, probably because they can't accept it. Two, they don't know enough about it. And mm. three, this is supposed to be a hunky-dory bed of roses world. Like, that cannot possibly happen. <laughs> like, hello? And I don't, I'd I like don't it think, to be. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I don't think it's... I, I, I'm starting to think it's no longer just because you're Asian, you're like this. I feel like that segregation, that boundaries it's closer and closer. And as much as we think we're different, we are all so similar. Mm, That's powerful. That that is such a good point. That is such a good point. You know, and as you were talking about this, it was just reminding me, and and this is, this is maybe a bit of a realization and maybe I, maybe I got this wrong, but I remember with my grandparents um, as kids, we would go over to their houses and everything was beautiful and amazing. And and I remember one time even talking to my mom and saying, this was, this was when I was a real little kid. And it, it had just dawned on me that my grandparents were my mother's parents. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I remember saying to my mom, like, you were so lucky to have grandma and grandpa as your parents. And, and even at that young age, I remember her looking at me and be like, eh, it wasn't always so good. <laughs> and then when, mm-hmm. when later on, um, when I was a young adult, I actually lived with them for a little while and I discovered it wasn't so good. You know, the, <laughs> um, they didn't hand out candy quite as often then, no, did they? <laughs> they didn't. It wasn't just smiles and cookies. And uh, it's there that I realized that my grandfather at least was severely depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think probably most of his life, he had extremely low self-esteem. Um, in fact, I remember him saying that, you know, his mother had died when he was, he was uh, like 13 years old and his father was never really in the picture. And I, I remember asking him and like, what, you know, do, what did your mother die from? And he said, well, I feel like it's because I was such a bad kid. <laughs> you know, she just couldn't wow. live any longer. And, um, and then my grandmother was never diagnosed, but I kind of wonder if she may have also been bipolar. Um, they, they came out of this, um, post civil war, not civil war, that would make them very old post world war two, <laughs> um, you know, 1950s, my, my grandfather could have fought in the war, but he worked in the shipyards as well uh, instead. And there was kind of like this, this view of, everybody put a smile on. And yeah. uh, my mother even tells me she remembers hearing, um, you know, her mother say, always smile because your smile shows the value of your mother. <laughs> like a good mother will always have smiling children. And wow. uh, it really, everything you were talking about, Darshini, kind of drove home that point that I don't think we've yeah. moved beyond that. And no, even looking on Facebook and LinkedIn, we all still feel like we need to be hunky. What did you say? Hunky dory, smiley, smiley. Yes. A bed of roses. <laughs> bed of roses. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
And then if you don't see it that way, it's like you're raining on someone else's parade. Of course. So, and I, mm, go ahead. This is me. Oh, I was just going to ask you. Yes. I was going to ask you, have you been able to move beyond that? I know on your Facebook, you say you're a reformed perfectionist, which I love that. <laughs> how, how reformed are you and how do we get there? I think it's, so I remember when mom, so mom comes from a medical background. She's a physiotherapist by profession. And uh, she's, of course, a lot more open to, you know, telling the world about it. So I remember when she made her first post on Facebook six, seven years ago that says, I, I have bipolar and I want you to know that if you uh, ha doubt, doubt it that you may be going through, know that you can always reach out to me, something along those lines. I remember reading that on her Facebook, calling my sister in Scotland and going, what is wrong with mom? Get her to put that down. Like, how can she be doing that? What is wrong? And my sister was like, excuse me, are you okay? I said, no, she shouldn't be telling the world. And my sister's like, please understand that she's telling it from a place of awareness. People need to know that there is such a thing. And then at that moment, I was like, oh, my God. And this is why my mom and I, I couldn't be there to support her because I was in constant denial. Mm. The quicker I was able to accept the fact that, you know what, she is right. And the doctors are right. The diagnosis is right, that she has bipolar and she is currently battling it out. I, the quicker I was able to support her. And my relationship with her has become so much more stronger. I am beginning to know her for the woman she is rather than my mom. And Darshini, I know this is kind of personal to ask, but you, you mentioned it, it when it first posted, you were like, yeah. basically my words, what the heck, why are you doing it? Was that, do you think, was that out of your own embarrassment or shame or was it just truly based on gosh i've never seen you that way or uh i don't feel that way about you i think it's a bit of both one mm. it's denial because mom is supposed to be perfect two you don't mm. wash your dirty linen quote unquote in public does that make sense because <laughs> yeah. that's what they say right you do not go out there and tell them if you're if you're gonna cry go go behind the doors and cry like no one should see you vulnerable you do not do that and that's when yeah. I realized there is beauty in vulner vulnerability. There is, you know, there is perfect imperfections and it is okay. And I think there's so much more to that, right? It's also me being so sure. cautious. I'm a very curvaceous person. And in Malaysia, that means equivalent to being fat. And even trying to go through that whole body shaming thing was so difficult. I, in Malaysia, I was fat. When I moved to the UK, they said I was petite. And I was like, sorry? Say that again. They're like, oh my God, petite. And I was like, oh my God, they call me petite. I love you. I know. Like, hello, Malaysia. Do you know what it means? Uh, but yeah, and then I started to embrace my, my body a lot more. I'm sure a lot of us, right? We have clothes size three times smaller, two times smaller, because we are saying to ourselves, one day I will get there. The moment do that. I'm sure you're laughing because you have the same thing too. And I remember oh, yeah. looking at the yes, I remember looking at the cupboard going, Oh my god, what is wrong with me? Because the more we do that, we're not gonna be present and be happy with the present. We're gonna say one day when I get there, then I'll be happy. What if that one day never comes? Wow. That is that is wisdom right there. Let, let's set on this for just a quick second. I want to make sure our audience heard that, right? So if we are so focused on our imperfection and we're trying to get to that perfection, then yeah. we can never enjoy the moment we're in. No. Wow. That's, that's great, Darshini. Yeah. In fact, let me just add to that because what, what I think I got out of that as well, and I think it's along the same lines, is um, that perfection is really just saying i'm i'm not good enough yes that it is actually saying i will stick in a place of deficit i will not move from my deficits i will yes. never enjoy the things that i'm good at 
and the irony is it's so subjective as well, right? From the from UK to Malaysia, we can see that. And that's that's a silly one, but it, it's it's true with human beings as well, right? You know, one one person might think, Wow, you're rather large, and the other person's like, Well, oh, you are just perfect, you know. Yeah. So it is wow. definitely so this also goes back that's this one incident that happened just yeah, in Feb. Um so the dancing school that I come from, the discipline that I come from back in Malaysia, the teachers will teach you that art form the way they've been taught. Very simple. We all tend to do that, right? We are going to teach someone else the way we've been taught. So at the school in Malaysia, uh, we, you know, it is very, very much about perfection. The lines, you know, if your hand gestures are supposed to be this way, this is how it's going to be. And um, so I stopped dancing when I started joining the company that we currently work for, um, only because that took on nomadic life, worked in Malaysia, Dubai, Seychelles, you name it, around the world. And then when I came back to Dubai, you know, when you just feel like there is a missing piece and you just don't know what it is. And through one of the conversation, I then realized, oh, my God, it's dance and I want to get back to it. And I found a guru here in Dubai two years ago. And the first time I started dancing with her, so with her, we are currently doing a piece. And the piece is a piece, a poet um, wrote this piece tw on the 12th century about a man and a woman. So it is Radha and Krishna and their union. So when she was telling me to narrate that piece and I had my hand gestures, perfect lines, she's like, what are you doing? I was like, carrying a baby. She said, is that how you carry your nephew? And then my body automatically kind of, you know, curved the way you would carry a child. And she says, now show me that. The reason why that particular art form is not relatable, one, to the audience and also to you as a dancer is because you're so, you know, you're so consumed in being the perfect dancer that you are not connecting with the content of it. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. So you, you've really lost your humanity in being yes. perfect then, is what exactly. I'm hearing you say. Wow. So, um, and I, in doing one dance practice, and I, a big part of me wished I had gone on, gone on. So during one dance practice, I was so lost in the music, so lost in the words, because that particular song is in the language that I understand, which is Tamil. And it's such a beautiful language. And uh, of course, it brings me closer to my family back in India. And when I was dancing that particular piece, and that one line says, the devotee says, I surrender you. I surrender myself to you. Um, I'm pray, I pray to you every day. I surrender myself to you. When would I just see you one time? When would I just feel you that one time? All I want to know that your presence is felt and seen. And that's what the devotee is saying to the Lord. And as I was doing the performance, there was this sudden moment when I was so lost in it, goosebumps, and I felt this, this, this vibration, this weird sense of vibration, and I remember staring in space, doing this hand gesture that I had to do for that particular part. And next thing I know, I was crying. And I looked at her, I said, stop the music. She's like, that was so beautiful because you were in it. You didn't care if your hands were supposed to be straight. You were in it. Why did you stop? I said, I stopped because I couldn't control my face. Mm. And she said, dancing is not about controlling. Dancing is about letting go. Wow. Mm. Which is exactly and, the opposite of how I would have thought about it. You know, that dancing, I yeah. thought, you know, it's about looking cool. It's about being, but it, yeah. it but it's expression. It really yeah. is. It's that expression. Um, mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting letting. because, yeah, and letting go. Because there's been a couple of times I've gone dancing or something and I actually enjoyed it. But usually it requires some sort of chemical assistance to let go. <laughs> <laughs> Adult because, <beverages. laughs> Yeah. Because like you, you know, I have this feeling of uh, I, I will not look good on the dance floor. I will not be beautiful. <laughs> that much is known uh, because my sense. But whose definition, though? Yeah. And I think that's where it goes into, you know, your experience even coming from Malaysia and, and being like, oh, here you're fat and then going to the UK and it's like yeah. you're petite, you know, and, and is one even better than the other? You know, it, it's it's they're just two different descriptions. And, and there's this feeling like if I got up and I and I look bad, then I'm bringing everything down. 
if I'm, you know, I hear people say, and it's, you know, oh, that person does not have a good enough body to wear a bikini. And it's like, well, like your eyes are really what matters the most, (laughs) you know, like you're not, I'm not worthy of being seen. And, um, and it really is a matter of, um, we need to become maybe more comfortable with not necessarily ugly, but with reality, with, with being real. Yeah. And it's funny you said, um, not comfortable wearing a bikini because the first time I wore one was when I'm at the age of 37 and I'm now 38. <laughs> so one year ago, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, like I said, right. Um, very curvy and I love it now. I think it's a beautiful body because whoever can say whatever, but I remember in, so we would go, mom would take us swimming, right. And uh, in this big, massive pool in Malaysia, my sister and I would literally wait for people to go and then we'll jump into the pool. And then when it's time to get out, mom's like, okay, let's go. And we will wait. And my mother's like, what are y'all doing? Yeah, waiting for people to go. Yeah, but that will be like one hour. It's okay. (laughs) And we will wait for an hour. Yeah. Exactly. We'll wait for an hour in the water. And when I was in Seychelles, even in Seychelles, when living in paradise, I was still so cautious and conscious about my whole body. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to go in. No, I can't. This happened in Tuscany. I was in a retreat in Tuscany. And um, there were seven seven of us, out of which six of them were from America. And we had gone to a hot spring, a public hot springs. And all my American uh, friends were out there in their bikinis. And I was like, you know what? I got this. I'm going to wear that confidence in a badge of honor and wear my bikini and walk in public. But when that happened, I just felt so liberated. Like I sent my sister a message and I said, oh, my God, it just feels so good. And she said, that's exactly how I felt three years ago when I started wearing shorts. Wow. I was like, wow. And so we all had our own insecurities, but we didn't speak about it. But my mom had always been, my mom was like, she lives today like there's no tomorrow. If you meet her, you think I'm fast? She's faster than me. Like she lives (laughs) life. She's like the party, you know, life of a party. And she has always given us that opportunity to be who we want to be and do what we want. My dad, on the other hand, very practical for a very staunch Hindu man, like we would have a culture that just sounds really, to some listeners, you might probably think this is definitely not right. But in the Hindu culture, uh, when uh, the woman, when the lady has a period, they don't encourage her to go to the temple to pray. And uh, then some of them then say, you cannot, you are, you're not, you, you deemed as dirty, simple as that. No, so my dad sure. will say, can you clean the altar? And I'm like, oh, no, dad, I've got my period. So I can't do it because it's dirty. <laughs> and my father will look at me and he says, yeah, but God made you that way. So you can go and clean the altar. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, okay. So I had a very practical upbringing. Like for someone who's an Asian, 38 years of age, not married. My parents till today, God bless them, has never asked me, when are you getting married? So I'm glad I have that, but yet I still have a society that goes, you're right. I mean, what's, I mean, you're beautiful. You're smart. What's wrong? I said, that's exactly what's wrong. I'm beautiful and smart. There you go. Stop asking me. <laughs> I don't need it. Well, and that's interesting yes. because there, there really is this perspective that until you meet a cultural norm, whatever culture you're in, that until yeah. you reach that cultural norm, you're not a complete whole person. Um, yeah. you know, the, the culture I grew up definitely had this perspective that, uh, that marriage was the thing. It was the thing that you had to do almost as soon as, as you became an adult that, that after yeah. that you became, in fact, they would say that, um, uh, a man who is 26 and unmarried is a menace to society. <laughs> and, wow. and, 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 and there was this idea that it, women, um, weren't necessarily menaces to society because they were supposed to wait for a man to find them and marry them, you know, so it was, it was fine for them to, but the, the unfortunate thing about those cultural norms is that they really don't let you have that opportunity for self-discovery that if you felt that you needed to find somebody or you wanted to, then 
then by all means, there's nothing wrong with going that way. If you feel like you don't, by all means, there's nothing wrong with not as well. That um, we only get one, you know, one ride on the, on this merry-go-round. So let us ride it the way that we want to. Yep. And it's funny because um, you say that because then you're telling me the American side of things. And we said, you know, for us, we sometimes feel like if you are not married by this age, something is wrong with you. Um, but yeah. then I, I, it just got me thinking because there is a Nigerian author called Chimamanda Nozi Adichie. And she writes in her book about how in her culture, marriage is literally seen like an achievement. You know, uh, it, like you, you, you work towards it and you achieve it. It's like a success story. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, then it only goes to prove to all of us that we are we are similar. So regardless yeah. of the color of our skin, it's the same. Well, and it's, it's interesting, even even uh, you bringing up the aspect of a period and being on, you know, and that being <laughs> that if someone is on their period, that they're at that point impure. And, yes. you know, maybe it didn't go into the religious side of things, but I, I definitely know, having been married for many years, that, that there is this shaming. There is this aspect of I'm gross at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just so unfortunate because that could be as much of a quarter of a young person's life, you know, that, yep. that they're now less than everyone else around them for having the biological necessity that keeps the human race existing generation after generation. True. You know. And uh, so when that happened first, uh, so my mom had uh, gone to the UK to study, to do her master's in physiotherapy when I came to age in Malaysia and I was living with my dad and uh, I was getting ready to go to school when my friend called me and she said, are you coming? And I said, yes, I'm coming. I'm just going to be late because this happened. She's like, oh, no. You shouldn't come to school. My mother said, if you did, the first man you see is the man you have to marry. And I was like, oh what? So I went to my dad and I said, Pa, I can't go to school. And he's like, why? I said, Pa, because my friend said the first man I marry is uh, the first man I see is the first man I marry. He looked at me. He said, well, OK, you know what? You saw me first. You'll marry me. Now you are going to school. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, thank you. So I'm really glad that I didn't have, like if my family didn't understand why we did something, then they will not force us to do it. So for me, Hinduism has always been a way of life rather than a religion, and we can go on and on talking about it. Then I mm-hmm. come from my family where my dad, my mom is a Catholic and my dad is a Hindu, and we then had a choice of which religion resonates to us, you know, and I then became a Hindu. And it's really interesting. My dad has always been like that. And he always had a very practical approach to things. So I went to school and my dad was like, don't worry, you just marry me. Come back now. It's, cool. it's all good. <laughs> well, one, of, um, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting too, you know, we, we've kind of talked about perfectionism and the need to fit or feeling the pressure to fit because of certain yes. standards, whether it's marriage or body type or so on. But then the ironic thing, too, by not fitting, there are others that don't fit with us. And so those of us that don't fit find some commonality as well and some camaraderie, you know, because I I I, uh, I don't necessarily relate to your curves, although I do have a big curve on my belly nowadays. (laughs) But I I do understand the feeling of being rejected. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes, only it's not going away in nine months. Um, but uh, but none, nonetheless, though, I, I, I as a kid, uh, I had acne so bad in fifth grade that I was going to a dermatologist, which, you know, normally you don't get acne until you're closer to a teenager than that. And so I can I can understand uh, being looked at and thought different of because of appearance. And, and so I can relate, even though it's a different relation, you know, to some of those things that you say. So just taking on a digression here, because then this goes back to when my nephew was born. Uh, so my nephew was born on my birthday, 2018. So he took away my limelight, but that's okay. He's a cute <laughs> little baby. So when he was born, it's interesting when he was born, a lot of, of course, he's a boy and everybody was literally giving blue blue shorts, blue t-shirt, blue this, blue that. And my mm-hmm. sister's like, really? There's no other colors? Like, seriously? So I remember <laughs> visiting him once and he had this red leggings. 
And my mom's like, where did you get that? My sister's like, from the shop. <laughs> like, I would go to any corner, be it ladies, being the girl's corner or the boy's corner, because I feel like we shouldn't already put that child in a box saying, you are a boy, you will wear blue. You are a mm-hmm. boy, you're a girl, you go choose whatever colors you want in the world. Like, go pick what you want. And I thought that was a really interesting upbringing. So now then I see my sister bringing up this little kid in the most open sense possible, right? This also goes back to when somebody says, uh, oh, I've got a newborn baby girl. And you're like, let's buy you a doll. But why though? Why not let's buy you a helicopter? Let's buy you a car. Like, why do we then go, you're a girl, I'll buy you a doll. You're a boy, I'll buy you a car. I think it should be, here, pick whatever that resonates to you if you want to carry. So my nephew actually has a little doll that he carries around. My sister's like, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. So he plays with dolls and he plays with onions. And he plays with just about anything that he finds. Like, you know, we shouldn't already start putting them into boxes at such a young age. Let them do what they want to do because you don't know who they end up becoming. And they don't have that idea of perfectionism in their head but they have the idea of the impossibilities in the world that is possible. Does that make sense? You know, it's, it's interesting because my, one of my sons, uh, when he was really little, his favorite toy in the world was a little baby doll that he named strawberry. And, (laughs) And they had another one he named banana as, as well. And, and, uh, he just loved and cared for it. And, um, you know, Today, he likes to play uh, video games that, you know, he kills people in. (laughs) And the point of it is, I think, is that when children play, they're learning. And so when we restrict their play to something that we believe better fits a gender norm, we're just, it's like we're telling them, don't go to school today. You know, there, there are very few parents that would say, you know what, I don't, I don't think education is that important. I'm just going to have you skip a year. We'll just skip fourth grade education. But yet when we restrict the toys that they play with, when we say you can't have a little baby doll that you cuddle and you dress and you name strawberry because, you know, you are a boy and that is not right. It just means that all you've done is restricted their ability to learn how to be caretakers and how to love something. And, and it's really unfortunate because I feel like maybe some of the, the unfortunately men that are running most of the world right now, maybe didn't learn that compassion, mm-hmm. maybe would be better people if they had had a doll instead of a helicopter or a car to play with, yeah. you know, they would see, they would know how to interact with people as people and not playing with things that are inanimate and that do things for you instead of things that you do things for. So that's why I really feel the current state of mind or the current situation that we are in has really brought out all this thinking. What I did before, what have I done before? Should I have done that? What can I do differently? You know, you, you go through a massive you know, a reflection moment throughout this whole period. And I think that's that's the reason why we constantly see it on LinkedIn, on Facebook, that everybody is being a little bit more open to talking about all this now. And, and talk to that a little bit, Darshini, because I know prior to beginning the recording, you, you talked about going through this time of reflection during this pandemic yeah. and during the situation. And so you've made some or had some realizations and maybe made some changes in your life. So talk, talk to that just a little bit, if you would. And of course, with the current arrangement with work, you do have a lot more time to reflect and really go, okay, what happens? Because everybody keeps saying, um, when we get back to normal again, uh, one, we wasn't, we're not going to get back to normal. Uh, let's accept that. Because if we did, there was no growth in this process. And, uh, you know, when everybody says, oh, uh, when things get better, things will not get better. Things will get different. And that Mm. is two different words. Right. And uh, also, of course, I sat down thinking and everybody talks about social distancing. And I feel with social distancing, it's gotten me socially connected to people who truly mean a lot to me. My dad, my mom, like I now know the man behind the title dad. 
I now know the woman behind the title mom because we always said that's the perfect figure, but they also have challenges. They also have struggles. They also go through emotions. And the more and more I feel like I talk to them, the more and more we actually sound like two good best friends, like just take, talking it out there, sharing our vulnerabilities, putting it out there so we can help each other. And it's really brought, brought me a lot closer to family than before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also feel like I'm reflecting back with all the relationships, be it work, be it relationships with men, be it, you name it. Like, it's not where did I go wrong, it's what can I do differently now. Knowing, knowing what I've done. Because I don't want to sit there going, oh, man, where did I go wrong? Because I feel like if you keep doing that, you keep blaming yourself. And we need to move past that. And I, and I cannot stand it when someone says, oh, you need to revisit that to find closure. No, you revisit that to find an opening. Mm. An opening that this is different. Why do you need a closure? Because if you're stuck on that, you feel like if I don't get a closure, I can't move on. So then you put that power on that closure. Like if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to move on. I'm stuck here. No, I I see an opening and I'm going to go through that. And I I just cannot wait for the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. They just don't know how long this tunnel is, but I cannot wait to see how everything is going to evolve and be okay with perfect imperfections. And that's where I came up with me now being a reformed perfectionist because I'm okay with making mistakes and I know I'm only human. And you know what, if that one font on slide number four is not the same as that font in slide number five, it is okay. (laughs) You're laughing because I used to correct you. Go ahead and laugh now. (laughs) I'm going to be okay with that slide. Don't worry. Well, that's good. I'm going to remember that because I'm definitely the one that uses the multiple fonts and and the creative spelling that uh, is not usually honored. (laughs) Yeah, we'll try to make it as consistent as we can, but I'm okay. going to be okay with one or two. I'm going to be okay with a lot of that now. And I think within this last week, I made an error at work and I actually slept well. Normally, I would sleep going, oh, my God, I can't sleep. I will be stressing. But this time, I'm like, it is okay. It is okay. You made a boo-boo. Now, let's pick up the pieces. Let's move on. I, I really great, love, and I think, I think what I'm, like, the, the biggest kernel of truth I want to take away from this is what you just said there at the end, which, you know, kind of blew my mind on it because it's, I've always heard it the opposite way. I need to find closure. I need to find closure. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to, from now on, look at that from the perspective, I need to find an opening. You know, I need to find, yeah. you know, if, it, if it's, you know, we, we, all, we all go through tragedies. We all go through really difficult times. We all have, you know, just moments that, that are so hard. And this idea that I need to close it, let it die and bury it is probably one of the biggest lies that I think I maybe have heard my entire life about things, you know, you've got to have this closure. We don't need to close anything. We need to open things up. We need to open ourselves up. We need to be open to our imperfections. We, you know, that, that um, rather than being a perfectionist that closes everything and other options outside of what we deem perfect, we need to be an openist that opens yeah. everything and allows everything to exist in its natural way. Yeah. So you've it's- definitely given me an awful lot to think about uh, today. Yeah. I just want to close with this line before we end. So let me mm-hmm. read this out for you. And this actually came from Tracy Millen, uh, Tracy McMillan's uh, Instagram account. Um, It's a really good one about closure and opening. So it says, closure is kind of a lie. Why? Because the word closure implies that once you've processed something, you're finished with it now and it's done and you can move on. Now, I have two problems with this. First, there's this whole idea that you can be done with something and as long as you are alive, there's always a chance to get a new perspective on things that have happened in the past. You don't ever want to decide that there's nothing more to learn from your experiences, no matter how long ago they took place. Now, the second one, there is this notion that closure has to happen in order to move on. 
Now, this is totally an illusion. Because life doesn't actually require closure. It just keeps moving and it keeps moving forward no matter what, with or without our permission. I'm not saying that you can't do a cool ceremony to mark moving from one stage of understanding about, say, a breakup to the next. But no matter how painful something is, the more you can let it be part of everything that you are, the more truly integrated you will be and the more you will be able to see the openings. It all makes better sense now. And that's from Tracy McMillan's Instagram account. So there you go. It's just extremely profound, extremely profound. I think, I think that's something that, I, and in fact, um, I, would, I would really love for any listeners to uh, email us and tell us a little bit about how you feel about that concept, because I feel like there's an, another podcast to be made entirely from that perspective of how, and, and even when, when Leonard and I were first talking about doing a podcast, we were talking about um, change and what causes change. Cause it's a little bit of an enigma, even for those of us that work in the training world where we're trying to, to generate train change and manage change. It's a little bit of an enigma to understand what creates change. And I feel like today we may have uncovered or Darshini, you uncovered for us yeah. one of those items. And one of the things I wanted to, to say, even before we, before we wrap this up is uh, in the interest of embracing our insecurities uh, in the very beginning, Darshini, when I was introducing you, I said, and we have Darshini. And then I was going to say your last name and I became insecure. Uh, <laughs> and I thought it's Govin something. Okay. <laughs> and I've never been it. sure how to say it. And so ah! um, I'm just going to embrace that and say, Darshini, I've known you long enough. I should be able to know what, how to say your last name, but I'm going to need your help with this. Okay, it's Govindaraju. Govindaraju. There, there that... you go. There you go. See, I like the fact that you're actually asking because when I was in the UK, they couldn't even say my first name when I was working in a supermarket. And I remember the lady used to go, Flash, Flash. And I'd be like, Who is she talking to? And then she looked at me and she said, I'm talking to you. I said, But you call me Flash. And she said, yes, because I don't know how to say your name and you're Flash like lightning. So I called you Flash. <laughs> I am for real. That might That's stick, Darshini. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I am oh really glad gosh. you asked. It's Govindaraju. Let's try that. Govindaraju. 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 Yes. All right. There you go. Well, Darshini, it has been a joy having you on our program. We, Steve and I talked about guests, and you were certainly one that came to mind, and you were no disappointment. Uh, thank you for sharing and being open as you talked about mental health, body type, all these things. And I just, uh, I'll follow up and, and concur with Steve as far as looking at things as opening rather than closing. Totally agree. Great insight there and one that I'm going to hang on to and share with others as well. Because when we go through past experiences, not all of us had pleasure in the past. And that pain is with us. It doesn't have to remain painful, but it never goes away. And yeah. so rather than shutting the door and denying, we because we can't recover from denial, but we open that up and say, what can I learn from it and become a better person because of it? So yeah. just invaluable information. So And also excellent. understand where it's coming from, right? Where is it coming mm -hmm. from and why is it making you feel that way and then move on? And I think yeah. that's the one thing I'm taking away from this period through journaling because it really asks you all that questions and makes you think and reflect and then you keep reading your own writing and you feel like yeah. you're getting you becoming a better person, a whole new person. Yeah, it's good. Excellent. All right. Steve, any last thoughts before we wrap up our call today? Just a final thank you to Darshini. And um, hopefully, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be hurt if we were able to have you on again sometime. Oh, I would love that. I will keep coming back. You'll probably have to come this go. <laughs> I think we had enough um, of you, Dashney. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It was a pleasure. Loved it. Thank you so much. And I love all that you've been doing. It, um, every Monday has never been the same because of the podcast and all your episodes. It, it has been accompanying me for all the walks that I'm doing masked in this area that I live in here in Dubai. But thank you. Keep doing it. Oh, thank you so much, Darshini. And again, for our listening audience, it's furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. If you do want to reach out, as Steve was talking about, we encourage you to talk about closure and opening. Tell us your thoughts on that. Love to hear it. Yeah. And if you've got other areas you'd like to hear us talk about on the program, certainly welcome your insights and your input as well. And as we say goodbye, just a quick reminder, this is indeed brought to you by Upwards Unlimited, Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com, where they will assist you in conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. So check out their website. And until next week, take care of yourself and look for some new openings. Bye-bye, everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah.